Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you begin a new job or you, be, or you begin a new school term or a new semester at college or you move to a new place, it can cause you some apprehension. What will this bring? Will I be able to deal with whatever these things bring? Will I be able to fulfill my responsibility, my task? Will I be able to deal with whatever happens to my family or in my family? Will I be able to manage? Imagine Joshua, Joshua's apprehension in Joshua 1. He was Israel's new leader. Moses had died. The people of Israel were about to cross the Jordan and enter the Promised Land. He had to lead them. And you can imagine that he was wondering too, will I be able to do this? Will I be able to manage? To do what's expected of me? Will these people respect my leadership? What will I have to deal with in the Promised Land? The Israelites, we know from the Old Testament, were not an easy people to deal with, a nation of complainers. So you can imagine that Joshua was pretty worried whether he would be able to lead the people across the Jordan and into the land of Canaan to conquer it. He'd have to lead Israel against mighty cities there in Canaan, like Jericho. He was concerned as he looked ahead. I don't know if I can do this, Lord. He worried like a lot of us as we look ahead when starting something new. Well, let's listen to how God speaks to Joshua to calm his fears. I preach to you the text with this theme. God chooses Joshua to lead his people into Canaan. And we learn three things from the text. First, God's promise. Second, God's provision. And thirdly, God's prescription. First of all, God's promise to Joshua. God said to Joshua in verse 2, Moses, my servant, is dead. Go over you and all these people into the land that I'm giving to the people of Israel. And remember that God had already promised that land long ago to Israel. That made Joshua's calling very special. His calling and task actually point ahead to his namesake, Jesus. For in Hebrew, the name Joshua means the same as the later Aramaic Jesus. They both mean Yahweh saves. And way back in the silence of eternity, before anything existed in the universe, God the Father said to his son, Go through the Jordan of suffering. The suffering of the curse of sin and bring my elect people into the promised land, into eternal joy. And he had laid that task on the Lord Jesus already in eternity. And God, saw, God the Son saw everything he would have to do beforehand. The humiliation, the suffering, the descent into hell, the God-forsakenness on the cross. A difficult road, a hard battle. Nevertheless, he said, behold, I come to do your will. We sang that in Psalm 40, quoted here in the text in the New Testament. He willingly, he willingly did that. He didn't hesitate or procrastinate or draw back. When he was confronted by the intensity of what he had to go, to, go through, the Lord Jesus prayed in Gethsemane, if it's possible, let this cup pass by me. But then he also added, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. So he willingly, perfectly obeyed his Father in heaven. And he did so in order to bring all his own into the land of promise. He did so to enter the heavenly Canaan as the forerunner of all those whom the Father gave him to inherit glory with him. So in Joshua then and in Jesus Christ, the Lord speaks to his covenant people. 
including us here today. And he says, go in and inherit that kingdom. Go in and fight the good fight through the Jordan of suffering, through the Jericho of trial. Go forward and fight the good fight against those enemies who want to prevent you from entering your promised inheritance. The world, the devil, and your own sinful nature. Fight to take possession of the heavenly Canaan which I promised you in your covenant mediator, Jesus Christ. That's what he says to you. Fight the good fight of the faith. We read that in Timothy. So congregation, that call to go over the Jordan and possess the land is actually also directed to us generally today as God's covenant people. That call, along with the promise of our inheritance, was signified and sealed to us here at baptism. Strive to enter by the narrow door, Jesus said in Luke. Fight the good fight, Paul wrote to Timothy. And that means, trust me, love me, hate sin, deny yourself, strive to keep my commandments, serve me, and live for my glory. And you will certainly inherit the promised land the land which I promised to you and your descendants. That's our calling then. Go and fight the good fight and enter the promised heavenly Canaan. God has promised us that eternal inheritance, but that doesn't mean that we automatically receive it. The covenant promise is not the reality yet. You probably heard the example of a gift card. Last week it was $1,000, but this week it's only 100 the gift card for a restaurant is not the food itself. You need to trust the card. You need to keep it. You need to protect it. Eventually, you make arrangements to go to the restaurant to receive the promised food. The promise of eternal life is something like that. You certainly have the covenant promises signified and sealed to you, boys and girls too. Sealed at baptism and sealed to all the adults, the confessing adults at the Lord's Supper table when the Lord's Supper is celebrated but you don't actually possess what's promised yet. You need to take that promise with you through life, through all the tests and trials and temptations of life in order to receive the reality of that promise at the end of your life. No one is able to enter the kingdom of heaven without fighting the good fight. No one can enter the kingdom without hating sin, without repentance, without self-denial, without striving to obey God's good commandments. Covenant children don't enter the kingdom automatically unless they're taken before they're responsible. They only enter by way of spiritual struggle, by way of daily repentance before God. If you think you can get there simply because you have those promises of God sealed to you, simply because you belong to God's church, you're going to be pretty disappointed when the time comes to leave this life. Because no one can enter the promised inheritance without fighting the good fight. So there's the danger that we think we can enter the promised inheritance without doing this battle. But I want to focus here too on another danger. There's another danger which God also implicitly warns about in our text. The danger that you think you can't do it anyway. Oh, I'll never be able to enter and take possession of the promised inheritance. It's too hard to hate my sins. Too difficult to deny myself too difficult to repent and to serve the Lord God and obey his commandments. It requires too much of me. I can make a resolution that I'm not going to look at those kinds of websites on the internet 
or I'm going to stay away from that other source of temptation. But I already know I can't keep that resolution anyway. I'm too weak. I can't take on the fight. And that's the danger too that you think, where you kind of give up and you say that you can't do it. What does our Lord God promise in this text? He says to Joshua and to all of us today in verse 5, I will be with you in that battle. I will not leave you or forsake you. As long as you step out and take on that battle, I am with you. See, with the Lord our God, we can fight. We will be able to fight sin. We are weak, but God is strong. God is with us, our God. In the original language, God was written as Emmanuel. Jesus is God with us, as Matthew writes in his first chapter of his gospel. He gives us the grace to fight, the grace to hate sin, the grace to repent, the grace to obey God's commandments, the grace to live to God's glory more and more, the grace to inherit the promise. He gives that. He got that for you. He's the supplier of grace, and he's with you. And if you seek him, and you rely on him, he gives you that grace, grace upon grace. He gives you the grace of his spirit so that you can keep, take up and keep up the good fight and enter the kingdom by the hard way and the narrow door. See, congregation, it's the devil who whispers to you, you can't do that. You'll never be able to possess what's promised. Not you. You can't fight those sins. You're too stuck in your ways. What's the use? Covenant people don't listen to him. Instead, open God's word, which is so full of God's promises to you in Christ, so full of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Immersing yourself in that word of promise will strengthen you in your fight of faith. The more you take in that word, immerse yourself in it, the more you're strengthened for your battle to hate your sins and doubts and your worries. Someone has compared the fears and doubts about being able to fight the good fight of faith with balloons. A lot of air in them, but it just takes a tiny pin to burst that balloon. Well, our worries and pessimism about being able to fight the good fight and take possession of our inheritance in Christ are like big balloons full of air, empty. God's promises to us in his word are like tiny pins that can burst those balloons. Take hold of one of God's promises in Christ. It's like pricking that balloon with a pin. Bang. It's gone. You're anxious about what an opportunity will bring. Afraid for the future. For your future. I don't know if I can do this. It's a balloon. Look at our text. God says he'll be there with his people. He will never leave you or forsake you. You look at that text, take it to heart. It's like a pin. Bang. End of the balloon. You're afraid to bear a cross. You're afraid to suffer loss for obeying God's commandment. Jesus promises in the gospel, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my burden is easy and my yoke is light. That's a promise. Take that to heart. Bang. That balloon's gone too. That balloon of worry, of fear. You're worried about falling for the temptations that show up in your life time and time again. A balloon of worry. 
The Lord Jesus promised in the gospel, I will pray for you that your faith may not fail. Bang. That's gone too. That balloon is history. You're afraid of dying. You're afraid of God's judgment that comes after. And the psalm says the Lord will keep your coming out and your going in. From this time forth and forevermore. Bang. That balloon's gone too. Congregation, if we'd only made more use of the pins of God's promises, we'd be a lot more confident and courageous in our fight. We'd be a lot more confident and courageous and faithful in our battle to take possession of our inheritance in Christ, wouldn't we? Just think of the Apostle Paul and all the turmoil and persecutions he and his helpers had to endure for Christ. He was able to say, we're always of good courage. He could only say that because he, every time again, he took those promises to heart. Keep God's promises before you as you engage in the fight here to enter the kingdom that Christ has promised for you, and you will receive that courage. We've come to the second part of the sermon, God's provision. Joshua had always been the assistant of Moses when Israel was in the wilderness. You remember that when Moses went, held up his staff on the mountain, Joshua led the army of Israel in the fight against the Amalekites in the wilderness. He had gone up to Mount Sinai with Moses when Moses conferred with God for 40 days and 40 nights. Joshua was there with him, his assistant. And Moses had appointed him to be one of the 12 who had to go into Canaan to spy out the land. But now Moses was dead and Joshua wasn't his assistant anymore. But he was appointed to lead Israel. You can imagine that he was pretty nervous about taking on this big responsibility. Just as we can be apprehensive at the beginning of a new school year, in college, taking on a new job, or starting out in married life. And don't forget, Joshua received this new position after Israel had been resting on the plains of Moab close to the border of Canaan for quite a while. He had lots of time to think about everything that was needed. And when you have time to think about your responsibilities beforehand, lots of time, you can imagine. You start to imagine all the things that could go wrong. Maybe this won't happen. Maybe that won't go right. Maybe this. That can intensify the worry. And remember that he had succeeded Moses, a man who had so capably led Israel out of Egypt and through the wilderness. That can, that can make you apprehensive when you succeed someone who is so capable. Well, the Lord God gives Joshua that promise in verse 5 of our text as he takes on the new task, I will be with you. And you might wonder whether that's really going to be so helpful for Joshua. Nice words, Lord. But Joshua was out there on the plains of Moab with all Israel behind him and the battle of Canaan before him. He had to lead all these Israelites in battle against strong city-states, well-fortified cities, and trained armies with the latest weapons. And what did he have? What would he need? The best weapons around, maybe, to besiege those powerful cities? Well-trained soldiers? Lots of food supplies for his men? All things he would need to conquer the land, wouldn't he? So what does our Lord promise him? Promise to provide for him. He doesn't promise him any of those things to provide any of those things at all. Let's just draw that line to today, congregation. 
you might think you need certain things to be successful in your life and your responsibilities. You know, I need a new job, a better job, more income. Otherwise, I won't be able to make it. I need better medicine for my sickness, better treatment for my illness. I need better marks, otherwise I won't be able to make this year. I need a marriage partner, otherwise I can't go on. Our perceived needs cause us to worry quite a lot, don't they? Perceived needs. God is able to give us all the things we think we need and more. Nothing is impossible for him. Let me say that, first of all, in the Bible, he never promises to fulfill all our perceived needs. Sure, we can call on him to give us all the things we figure we need to make it through this life, but we can't demand those things of God. He never promised to give us those things. Good marks, nice job, better income, good friends, good health. We can't expect those things from God. He's not obligated. He never promised to give us those things, not even life for tomorrow. What God has promised us, though, is what he also promised to Joshua in our text. I will be with you, and I will not leave you or forsake you. That's what he promised, and he promised that to you at your baptism already. He guarantees that his love and grace in Christ are yours always, that his spirit is with you, no matter where you are, whether you walk, stand, lie down, or sit. He promises you his love. He promises to give you his love in all circumstances, everywhere. And if you truly believe that promise, you cannot but love him. Trust him, depend on him, even when things become very hard for you and they don't turn out as you figured they would. And then you can deal with your troubles because you accept that God's decided. This is what's good for you. He's with me. And he decided that I needed to carry this at this time. I will never leave you or forsake you, God said. And that means no matter how hard things become, how heavy your burden in life, how difficult your battle, you never have to think, I'm on my own here. No. He has promised he will not abandon you. He'll carry you along with the burdens you carry. Even if I want to walk in his ways, but I let myself be overpowered by temptation again, even then his promise stands. I will not leave you or forsake you. In other words, I'll bring you to your knees in repentance before Christ, and I will assure you of my forgiveness and strengthen you again. I will not leave you or forsake you. And see, that promise of our covenant God to be with us and not forsake us isn't going to guarantee us success in our education or our business ventures or our relationships. God says, leave the results to me. You just do your best to look to me, to be diligent in seeking my will, to follow me, and you can leave the rest up to me. Rest in me and my promise to you. I will never forsake you. And congregation, the guarantee of that promise is, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is greater than Joshua. He was faithful. He always kept God's law. He never, ever gave in to temptation, even when the devil came to him in person to tempt him. But he was forsaken by God. On the cross, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
God withdrew all his love and favor and comfort from the Lord Jesus Christ, and he poured all his displeasure, anger, wrath, and curse on him. He was forsaken by God so that we might never more be forsaken. The promise that God will never leave or forsake us was bought by the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why, congregation, we have every reason to trust that promise, to live out of that promise. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, do you really believe that promise of God? I am with you and will never leave you and forsake you. Do you truly depend on him in that promise? What a battle to trust that time and again, eh? And that's the fight of faith. A battle to trust that. But that struggle, if you're engaged in that struggle, it shows that you're on the right track to your inheritance, to the promised land. Because what's it going to help you if you're successful in everything you do? If you pass college with flying colors, if your business is so successful, if you have a great job, if you have a big house and a wonderful relationship with your spouse and your family, but you don't have God, if you live far away from him, what good is it to you? As the Lord Jesus said, what good is it if you gain the whole world, but you lose your soul? Make it your life's aim to grow in reliance to your covenant God. Then the door may be very tight, but you'll gain joyful entry into the glorious inheritance that Christ has obtained for you. We've come to the last part of the sermon this morning, God's precept. As you know, God's promise consists of two parts, promise and obligation. Those two belong together in a living covenant relationship. Obligation without promise is only for people like the Pharisees who think they have to save themselves. And promise without obligation is only for those who don't want to fight the good fight in this life. But real covenant people embrace both promise and obligation. They can and want to show by means of living according to the obligation that they have set their hearts on the promise. You know a tree by its fruits. And see, that's why God's promise to Joshua in our text is also followed by God's precept. Verse 7, Only be strong and very courageous to do according to all that law that Moses, my servant, has commanded you. That's the obligation that people want to live out of if they believe in the promise. But that's not always what we're so busy with when we meet new challenges in life, is it? Living out of God's commandments. We worry more whether people will like us or whether we're taking the right courses at school or whether we're going to make progress in our new job and our, new, and our business. All understandable concerns. And we do need to think about those things sometimes. But none of them is the important issue. None of them. The most important to think the most important thing to be concerned about is am I thinking, speaking, acting according to God's will here and now? Am I living according to God's commandments here? That's the biggest issue of your life. Congregation, let that be your first concern in everything you take on from day to day, at home, at work, at school, or wherever you might be. And what that means then is that you need to know what your faithful covenant God wants of you. How does he want me to live at this time? Well, take the time to open the Bible, brothers and sisters, boys and girls. Join the Bible study. 
Join Bible study. Study it yourself. It's in and through that word that God shows you how to live according to his will and way in every situation. If you're immersed in his word, you will know what your God and Father would want you to do here and now. Open that word every day. Just like fields need rain to grow crops, our souls need the word time and time again. Let that word saturate your souls. Ponder on God's law and meditate on that word. Don't let it run off like water on a rock. Absorb it like soft soil where the seed can grow. Remember Jesus' parable. Take the time for that. And then, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, fight the good fight of faith. Fight to live according to that word. Let that be your main concern at home, in school, at work, wherever you are in between, to think, speak, and act according to God's good commandments. Let the words that come out of your mouth be as the oracles of God. As Paul writes, show love and empathy for others as the word commands, especially to those who are less gifted than you are. Have an eye for the weak and the vulnerable. For the student who has a hard time socializing at school or is maybe picked on by others, identify with him or her. Don't be ashamed to live according to God's will in all those kinds of situations. Don't think of God's commandments as rocks that you need to drag along. Think of them as pearls that you can wear by which you can show to others how good and rich and gracious your Father in Christ is. Yes, congregation, strive to live like that. Because if there's no motivation to live like that, you don't really love God's promises and you don't really love God either. You're drawing away from him, and then what can he do? He can draw away from you too. If you're not interested in living for him and with him, you're going to lose his presence, not because he's unfaithful, but because you don't show that you want his promises. He's not going to force himself on you. If you don't want him, he'll let you go, and he'll say, if that's what you want, then take it, go your way, and ultimately you'll have to live without him in eternity. Let it be your greatest concern then to live close to God, to follow your Savior in all your ways and thinking. And then the more you do that, the funny thing is, the more you realize that you need him too. Need his grace, his care. And then you can't go a single morning without coming to him first. Otherwise, you know you're not going to have the wisdom or the courage or strength to go through the day. Lord, give me the strength and faith that I need to walk with you today. You won't be able to go to bed at night without first going to him and asking him for forgiveness. Lord, I didn't stay completely in step with you today. I didn't say what I should have, and I said what I shouldn't have. Forgive me. Forgive me and stay with me. And see, in that way, you become more and more attached to your covenant God. He becomes more and more a reality in your life, and your love for him and his son grows deeper and deeper, and you trust in him and his promise, promises, and your confidence grows. Like Joshua in the text through the trial of the Jordan River and the impossibility of the walls of Jericho later on and the disappointment of Ai. God was with him through it all to the end. And Joshua died in faith. 
His body was buried in his promised inheritance to await the resurrection of the greater than Joshua, Jesus, and his soul inherited glory in the heavenly Canaan. And congregation, if we continue to fight the good fight in this life, it'll be the same with us. We can expect the same. Our God promises he will be with us always and everywhere. Believe that and fight to take possession of your promised inheritance by walking with God. Then you will be with Jesus Christ, who went before you. Amen. Let's now respond with the singing of hymn 55, the stanzas 1, 2, and 3. <laughs> 